Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's the last weekend before Christmas, but there's not an awful lot of festive cheer in the air as Britain struggles to find new ways of celebrating. Will it be a walk in the park? Could it be a hike up a mountain? A drive around town? A bike ride in the rain? No, forget that. Uh, one thing we will be doing, apparently, is spending uh, $3.5 billion, or is it $5.3 billion, on Christmas presents over the next few days. Apparently, £2.5 million a minute is going to be going through the tills uh, in this country. So people have obviously got a fair bit of money to spend, despite being advised not to actually give any presents to anyone in case you end up passing on coronavirus. I have to say, things have taken a turn for the better uh, since I got into the studio and was handed a rum punch uh, by Julie Hartley Brewer uh, and her personal cocktail maker. I was at the airport yesterday as well. Uh, yesterday evening when my daughter was coming from Dubai, it was eerily quiet. Masked passengers walking silently into the arrivals area. Uh, and I suppose this year was summed up best uh, when I saw one guy coming off a Shanghai flight dressed from head to toe in a full hazmat suit, complete with the boots. You know, those ones they wear in the police shows when they're walking around a murder scene. It was really quite strange. We are living in very odd times indeed. 38 million people this weekend are now living in Tier 3 with the announcements yesterday that moved much of the southeast of England into the same status as most of the north. Manchester remains there, as does northwest Leicestershire, uh, very much against what was told uh, to be happening uh, by uh, the Prime Minister's office back in the early days of the week. We'll be speaking to Sir Graham Brady, Tory MP for Altrincham and Sale West, to see when we might get out of all of this madness. 0344 499 1000. Coming up, we're also taking a tour of the country and we need your help. We've heard from plenty of politicians, but we need your voices too, because we are the home of common sense and we need your eyes and ears out there to find out what's really going on. As Manchester Police has moved into special measures, how is all this being enforced? I'm hearing some pretty weird tales from different parts of the country. We'll also be catching up on the latest from Brussels as a new Brexit deal looks likely to be done over the weekend. I've detected a bit of a shift change in the way the Prime Minister speaks about the EU. He's referring to them constantly now as our friends and a new relationship uh, which is dawning, which seems remarkably soft compared to the noises coming out of Downing Street last month. We'll also get Kevin O'Sullivan on the show ahead of his appearance on Plank of the Year, which is being filled with an all-star cast this afternoon. And we'll have a bit of a Christmas carol as well, just to cheer everybody up. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest-growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.
Now, as we see headlines like the bleakest midwinter on the front page uh, of the Daily Mail, you do wonder exactly what Christmas is going to be like this year. Let's talk to Sir Graham Brady, uh, a man who has uh, for a long time stood up for the ordinary people of this country uh, and asked the Prime Minister not to put places into lockdown without taking good uh, consideration of what damage might be caused by that. So, Graham, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Morning, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. I mean, you've been standing up against uh, many of these moves for quite some time. Did you really ever think that we would be in this situation just before Christmas, less than a week away, 38 million people uh, in restrictions, which mean they basically can't have a drink in a pub, they can't have a meal in a restaurant, um, and the people who run those businesses can't make any money? No, it's a crazy situation. And, you know, if there's one positive in this, it's that now people across the country can see what it's like, the Mm. kind of restrictions that my constituents have had to live with for most of the last nine months. Yes. And we've had this sort of lockdown or tier three or something higher than tier two in cycles, uh, which also means that even if things they can't make any plans and they don't know how long they're going to be trading for. Well, that's the difficulty, isn't it? Because as all of this happened, even just yesterday from Matt Hancock, when he spoke in the House of Commons, it's not very clear how long this goes on for. Absolutely. And, and, you know, if the government does without setting out clear uh, rules and thresholds that will trigger the movement between tiers, then people are left completely in the dark. And, you know, they've got their five supposed criteria they judge these things by. But the published weighting that's given to each of these criteria. Uh, so uh, they can just you know, pluck out of a result that Greater Manchester says in tier three. Mm even though uh, when they subsequently published their supposed no actual explanation given. Yeah, I mean, it seems weird that they have this set of criteria because many of us here at Talk Radio and elsewhere have been challenging and asking questions about how the data is collected, what the data actually means. I mean, clearly uh, there is a problem, but the question is, you know, is the cure worse than uh, the disease, as, as, we, as we've put it many times? And uh, is it really the case that we are in a bad enough place to, to completely shut down parts of the economy, which may never recover. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, it's both shutting down parts of the economy, but also removing very fundamental freedoms. And one of the things that's pained me in this process has been the way in which people, uh, for far too long, uh, simply accepted the idea for the Prime Secretary to appear at a press conference and tell them whether they're allowed to see their children yeah. uh, or whether they're allowed to um, grandchildren. Uh, these, frankly, are not uh, things that government direct. Mm. It's the, the kind of thing that you would expect in some sort of repressive communist regime, uh, not in a free country. So you know, I, I thought it was it jarred, really, yesterday. I was delighted that the government has confirmed that the uh, re- relaxed arrangements will stay in place yeah. and people will have freedom of choice um, and they've been urged to res- act responsibly, use personal responsibility um, but it, it's so remarkable to hear ministers saying personal responsibility is the key only for five days and once that five days is over we're going to start assuming again that your children and can't be trusted to make sensible decisions. So, you know, I, I really hope, I hope Christmas goes well. I hope people do behave responsibly. I hope that they act and that doesn't result in a big increase in transmission of the COVID. Uh, if that's the case, then it would be a very strong argument ministers to start thinking again about the whole approach mm. and maybe think that they can give good advice uh, to intelligent adult human beings and ask 
uh, the public, the citizens, to, to make their, their own decisions about how to control the virus. Well, quite. I mean, because you've had many conversations, I guess, with, with people in government, in the cabinet as well. I mean, what sort of um, mindset would you say they have? Because it comes across whenever there is one of these media briefings with people like Chris Whitty and either Boris Johnson or Matt Hancock, that they're kind of frightened uh, of not doing the right thing. They, they, they seem reluctant um, to, to weigh one thing up against another. I, I think that is the core of the problem. I think the government has got into the habit of always taking the guidance of medical advisors who understandably are going to advise the lowest risk option from a medical and COVID-19 point of view. Mm. Uh, what they're not doing is balancing in that uh, thought process, balancing it off against the harm. <clears throat> by lockdowns and you know even the world health organization says lockdown should be a, a last resort because of the, the damage that's done to people's health to people's mental health uh, to people's economic future mass unemployment that can be created the loss of opportunities for young people and the terrible loss of hope uh, that can uh, things yes because the other problem for me in all of these decisions is that clearly um, whatever lockdown has happened in the past, perhaps aside from the original one, uh, which kicked off in March, nothing's really worked terribly well, has it? Well, what we know is that lockdowns can achieve one thing, and that is to delay the spread of the coronavirus. Mm. Um, they can't stop it. Uh, it will come back. It's very likely that this becomes uh, an endemic uh, virus. Obviously, we all hope uh, that the performance of uh, vaccination, uh, along with a degree of immunity from exposure, uh, will lead to a situation where it becomes much less worrying. And we hope that future infections uh, coronavirus will become less virulent as well. Uh, that tends to happen with viruses, but there's hope for and, and not be certain of. Um, but in, in the meantime, uh, we know that we've got a period of several months when we're going to have to live with this. And, you know, I've never been one that says, you know, just ignore it, forget it. It's obviously a serious virus. It affects some people, particularly elderly and vulnerable people, uh, very badly and can result in people's deaths. Mm. So we should treat it with appropriate respect and caution. Um, you can do that uh, whilst carrying on with not necessarily a normal life, but a more normal life. And the great demonstration of that was what was done from the summer onwards when pubs and bars and restaurants uh, were given very tight guidelines about how they could operate in a safe way. Mm. Uh, they spent a fortune and a huge amount of effort putting all of that into uh, and having done that their reward is to be told well we're still going to shut you down even though the government's have actually said in terms that there is very little evidence that it'll have any effect to do so and you know in fact many of us are that closing down those hospitality venues might have the opposite effect of forcing people to social in less secure environments, whether it's in people's homes or in other spaces that they find. And, you know, you can control things in those public uh, hospitality venues. You can control the regulation. You can make sure they're kept clean. You can expect certain amounts of spacing. They were told to do table-only service. All these things they did. And 
and then it apparently doesn't make any difference. Mm. Yes, quite. And what did you make of the Rishi Sunak announcement yesterday, which was sort of fed out rather, um, shall we say, as an afterthought, not with, with much fanfare, that the furlough scheme extends now till the end of April, which would suggest that the government is prepared to go all the way through to April with these kinds of restrictions? Well, yeah, I think you know the worry is when the last extension to the furlough was uh, announced, uh, people were saying, oh, does this mean that they're expecting it? March, and uh, and of course we were at that point hoping that we were going to gradually come out through tears to low and so on, and everything was on a path to returning to a, a, a more sane uh, world. Uh, in fact, before we we ended up with a lockdown and then the tier system uh, being tightened, uh, so a further extension. I think we have to. It does mean the government is expecting this to go on for longer, and if they can extend it for another month now then are they going to extend it uh, further into the summer? Um, and you know, I, I think we just have to understand that what ought to be is a, a sort of payoff uh, for the spread of vaccination, a payoff for responsible behaviour in areas like mine where people have uh, been broadly responsible and have got these down. And that payoff has to be that you get your freedom back. Mm. And, you know, people have to see that a benefit in return for all these sacrifices they're being told they have to make. Quite. And, I mean, people are asking questions as well in Manchester about whether some punishment is being handed out here by the government because of what Andy Burnham did um, a few weeks ago. Do you think there's any, any likelihood of that being the case? I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I can see it's a tempting uh, narrative for Andy Burnham and, Graham Stringer earlier, and I've got a lot of time for Graham. He's often uh, one of the more sensible uh, members on the other side of the House. Uh, but you know, I've got so many colleagues from around the country uh, who were hopping mad yesterday as saw their own uh, areas with low rates of infection mm. were being dragged into Tier 3 or to with no obvious justification just because they happen to be near two other areas or in some cases you know, end of a county um, and you know an hour's drive away from an area that's got higher rates of infection and they're still dragged into the tier with them so uh, I, I think it's a I mean obviously I would be alarmed if it was uh, that the government had it in for Manchester I don't think that's the case. I think it's more fundamental. I, I think the policy prescription is simply wrong. It's too different. And at the very least, what they should be doing is looking at areas on a, a much more local, certainly taking metropolitan boroughs mm. or district council areas rather than whole counties. They've done it in they took parts of Essex and parts of Hertfordshire into Tier 3 at the beginning of the week. So they've actually that it's possible. There is no earthly reason uh, why they couldn't have done the same in Greater Manchester, where Trafford, Tameport have got much uh, lower rates than the national average. Uh, and you know, it's simply illogical that we find ourselves in the area of highest restriction uh, when the rates are much lower than the, than the average, and even uh, lower than they were um, yesterday in Bristol, an area that was moved down from yes. six weeks to Yes, it, there doesn't seem to be an awful lot of consistency up and down the country with all of it. But, Graham, listen, I know you have to go. One final question for you. What do you make of what's going on with the Greater Manchester Police being put into special measures? What's all that about? Well, it's a, a big worry. Obviously, we had this rebel 
earlier in the week that um, there have been this huge number of crimes that have gone uh, not just uninvestigated but unrecorded. Mm. Uh, and, you know, that, uh, you know, very big worry. This is obviously one of the most fundamental uh, duties of uh, keeping people safe. And uh, obviously one of the big responsibilities of the mayor, who is the police and crime commissioner as well, Andy Burnham, control of policing in Greater Manchester. And, you know, I think it's a pretty serious indictment uh, that the government and, and put the force into special measures. Yeah, it really is. We'll be watching that space. So, Graham, thank you very much indeed. Hopefully uh, we'll talk to you before Christmas, but have a very good one if we don't. So, Graham Brady, MP, Chairman of the 1922 Committee and, of course, MP for Altrincham and Sale West. Lots to uh, take out of that. Apologies for uh, some of the quality of the phone line there because it wasn't quite as good as we would have hoped it to be. Sometimes these things happen. Uh, most of you will have heard most of what he had to say. Um, and I think there's no question that this is what we need from you guys today because as we enter uh, the final week before Christmas, uh, Christmas Eve, of course, and Christmas Day uh, will have come and gone uh, this time next week. And the bottom line for me uh, is basically, how is all of this being enforced? Because it's one thing to say, let's take some parts out of Tier 3, put them into Tier 2. Let's take some parts out of Tier 2, put them into Tier 1. You know, clearly, it would seem to me that this particular course of action by this particular government is not really working. Everything that they do turns out not to work terribly well. Everything, every chance that they have uh, to change the way that they cover it, every chance that they have, for example, as you heard from him there, uh, parts of Hertfordshire being put into uh, Tier 3, uh, then by the end of this week, all of Hertfordshire goes into Tier 3. Every time they try and do something with London, put it into Tier 2, uh, suddenly then it all goes into Tier 3. Everything seems to be heading into Tier 3, apart from a very, very few p- parts of the country, uh, which I think is the Isle of Wight, the Isles of Scilly, uh, now Herefordshire which we'll be talking to coming up in a little while as well. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk radio. Let's say a very good morning to Ben Habib. Ben, a very good morning to you. Hi, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. I'm quite envious of you being in Dubai because I just uh, got my daughter from the airport last night having come from Dubai and she was telling me how uh, relatively open it is for most uh, businesses. It, it is all open, completely open. In fact, I'm standing at the base of the Burj Khalifa at the moment to take my children up. Right. Um, the whole place is open. Everyone's wearing masks. But basically, you can go about your business. All the shops are open, including non-essential retail. Mm. Open restaurants are open. Um, you know, our government might take a note out of their, a leaf out of their notebook. Well, it would seem to be a sensible thing to do, wouldn't it, to start looking in the new year, at the very least, at ways of, of, of fighting this without having to lose the economy, without having to lose businesses, which are now starting to, which is now starting to happen. Yeah, and, you know, if you look at, leaving aside the economy for a second, if you just look at the total death rates, I don't think we're outside five-year average at this time of year. And, you know, to, as you say, to shut down the economy on the back of, you know, what is increasingly looking like flimsy evidence and stats just doesn't make any sense. Not to me. I, I, I know you don't want to talk about um, about COVID, but, um, you know, it doesn't make any sense to me. Well, it's difficult to separate the two things, isn't it? I mean, the two overriding stories of the year are Brexit and COVID. And, you know, occasionally they overlap, yeah. they intertwine, because inevitably they, they have to, you know, because I think that there are many advantages to us leaving the European Union particularly because of the COVID outbreak, because it means that, you know, we can find our own solutions without having to be guided to any great extent by them. Absolutely. It's vital. And, you know, we saw the first evidence of it with our ability to get the vaccine yeah. through much faster than they have in the European Union. 
But of course, the more obvious bits are making sure that we can make laws and support those industries and people and sectors and parts of our country support without the EU interfering. Yes, quite. It seems seems blindingly obvious to me, but there are some who dispute that. Yes, I think those who dispute it will forever dispute it. And, uh, you know, the people who used to call themselves remoners now call themselves rejoiners, which I've never quite understood either. Um, But I'll tell you what I found interesting, though, is there's been a slight change in Boris Johnson's kind of rhetoric, if you like, and his words and his his, use of words over the the EU. Because I've noticed this week he's been quite reluctant to be critical of them in public. That may be different in private. But, you know, he talks about our friends in the EU and, you know, having a new relationship with our friends in the EU which is a slightly different tack than it was, say, a month ago. Yeah, I mean, he's been... Over the last couple of months, his position has got noticeably weaker. And, of course, the week he started on the 15th of October, which I think was his second deadline to leave, um, you know, to to, to cease negotiations because we hadn't got a deal. Mm. Every day that has gone past since, he's looked weaker, including, of course, last Sunday, which was meant to be the final cut-off. Right. And what, I, what he's achieved by saying to adhere to his own deadlines is to show the other side that he's not serious about no deal. Mm. And the minute you disclose that you're not serious about no deal, they're going to toy with you, they're going to play with you. And in fact, they probably sent this back in June because that was the first deadline he missed. And um, I mean, it's an extraordinary turn of events, really, isn't it, Mike? This is a prime minister who was elected. Um, in order to get Brexit done, in order to be robust with the EU. Some said he'd rather die in a ditch than fail to leave on the 31st of October. Mm. And we have the ignominious sight now of him having gone to Brussels twice to meet Baudelaire, where he isn't even a head of state, she's just a head of the, of the European Commission. Yeah. Merkel declined to meet our own Prime Minister. He's calling her frequently, and we still haven't got a deal. It seems ridiculous, doesn't it? Because I can't imagine why these deadlines keep being missed. Because if you miss a deadline, then it's not really a deadline. Somebody actually said last week, why don't they just reinvent uh, another definition for the word deadline, which means a conversation that never ends? Because, I mean, I've got no, I've got no absolute surety that this current deadline, which is this Sunday, uh, will not be ignored as well. No, now that, I mean, I'm hearing rumours that they may actually do a deal even up until the 31st of December and then retroactively pass legislation in Parliament to comply with it. And, you know, it's unheard of just bouncing the country into this situation. And there is a part of me that thinks it's all choreography in order to give Parliament a very short period of time and, and for commentators like you and me an opportunity to analyse what the deal is before they sign up to it. Mm. Well, that's um, true. I mean, we're, yeah, being to- we're being told that they may be holding parliamentary sessions Monday, Tuesday, maybe even Wednesday, um, in order to discuss the bill. But as people have pointed out, that's not very much time anyway for, for a 600-page document, is it? It's absurd. And if you cast your mind back again to last year, 17th of October, when they produced the withdrawal agreement in Chat it is a brilliant deal. He tried to bounce Parliament into it, holding a special session on a Saturday, mm. if you recall, to try and get it through by 31st October. And then we had another luxurious months, actually, of analysis. And it seems that even members of the ERG failed to notice that Northern Ireland was going to be annexed off in the withdrawal agreement. Mm. We, got, well, we got Steve Baker earlier this year saying he didn't realise there was going to be a border down the RSC. 
you know, that was after three months of scrutiny. Mm. <laughs> you can imagine <laughs> what it's going to be like if, if this deal gets banned through. Yeah. I mean, do you get the sense that people are just bored stiff with it all, Ben, and they'd rather just get it out of the way? And actually, the mere detail of it now um, is for this policy wonks and people who, who care about such matters. But the general public, even those who wanted Brexit, who voted for it, are just not really that interested anymore. Absolutely. They're, they're exhausted. And even I have my moments. You know, I'm about as nerdy and as OCD about Brexit as anyone can be. But even I have my moments of thinking, goodness, for God's sake, get it done. Yeah. And um, but but we've got to stay vigilant because if they sign us in, into something bad. By the way, we're already signed into something bad with the withdrawal agreement and the Northern Irish Protocol, which mm. we've now, you know, Michael Gogan's now confirmed he's presenting. Um but if they sign us into a level playing field, if they allow, you know, unfettered access to our territorial waters, if they um, allow the Court of Justice a special position in the interpretation of the agreement and laws in the United Kingdom, this is something we would be fighting for the next generation, not longer. You know, so it's something we've really got to look at carefully, notwithstanding our exhaustion from it. Yes, no, I think you're absolutely right. But it is difficult to keep people's attention. And it is difficult, particularly with everything else that's going on, you know, with the COVID situation, with the economy, with people worrying about their jobs, you know. Um, and when now when you have a... I mean, for example, all week I've been hearing these reports coming in from um, the, the, the channel that there have been delays at the ports because of uh, uh, an, overabund- an overabundance of lorries because people are trying to stockpile various different things. I really don't know how much of that um, is kosher and how much of it isn't. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I can't, I, I can't know. But you would think that four and a half years after the vote to leave the EU, we would have got our act together at this very basic level. You know, it beggars belief that we haven't. And it just makes me wonder whether no deal was ever a serious threat. Because, mm. you know, to mount that threat, you've got to go to the other side, and indeed people in the United Kingdom, that you're able to cope without a deal, that you can't stand on your own two feet. And this picture of lorries chewing up if they are chewing up, no doubt promoted by people who want to promote that kind of agenda, hmm. um, nevertheless, you know, belies any place they're ready to just walk. So, and this is why I think we're going to get a bad deal sometime before 31st December. When we're, we're right at the 11th hour and 59 seconds. And the Prime Minister should have pulled stunts years ago if he had the wherewithal to do it. And he hasn't done it. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, it doesn't, I mean, you don't really hold out that much hope that he will. I mean, I've always been relatively optimistic about these things. And I think that it will all come out in the wash, if you like. Um, but it may take a while because I've never believed that you could do any kind of a deal um, which is in any way finite. Um, at any point, really, because you'll always be doing deals. You'll always be conversations uh, being had behind the scenes about individual situations, Absolutely. won't they? Absolutely. We, we should have just left, frankly, years ago, saved yeah. ourselves the billions, signed the withdrawal agreement, and then negotiated either mini-deals or some kind of comprehensive deal, if that's what, if that's what you know, the direction they wanted to go in. Mm. The, the lack of confidence in the United Kingdom is absurd. You know, when you think 94% of businesses in the UK do not trade with the EU, yeah. that only 12% of GDP is actually dependent on the EU, uh, that the EU is a shrinking trading block, that it's becoming less important on the, on the global every day that goes by. 
you know, when you look at all of those together, you think of a complete political failure to have confidence in the United Kingdom and just let it go. Absolutely confident. Even if they hadn't done any no-deal planning or any, any Brexit planning, the businesses in the UK would just find a way to... It. That's right. And yet the narrative, Ben, is yeah. all about the biggest trading block and our biggest trading neighbour and all of this. And people are convinced that somehow, um, you know, they're going to be, um, you know, lording it over us for the rest of time and we're going to be worse off when, in fact, it's the other way around. Completely. You know, we run, as I'm, I'm sure, Mike, a trading deficit of £100 billion pounds a year with the EU. That trading relationship for the United Kingdom is bad. It keeps our value of our assets under pressure it keeps sterling under pressure we're bleeding cash into the eu as a result of this uh, of this arrangement and part of the reason for that is we are locked into eu laws at the moment part of the reason for that is because the euro is an artificially weak currency and we can't do anything uh, to mitigate the that that creates because we're locked into the eu once we leave we can deal with that deficit and we can actually treat the eu uh, you know the third party properly rather than having to play by all their rules which you know the nice thing is level playing field let's just get that straight mm. it's a completely skewed playing field in their favor exactly right well ben listen enjoy the rest of your trip i guess you're there for christmas ben habib uh, is in dubai right now uh, where things are relatively normal in terms of the fact that you can go out uh, the restaurants are open the bars are open the hotels are open um, the burj khalifa is open you've got to wear masks but this is my point. There are lots of people making uh, arguments about masks being no use. They may well be no use. My point before was not that wearing masks is absolutely compulsory and must be done. But if the rules say that you should wear a mask to go somewhere, what's the harm in doing it? I don't like wearing them. I don't like wearing them for any length of time. In fact, I was in the airport yesterday. I had to keep going outside because I didn't have to keep wearing the damn thing. How about this for a piece of season's greetings from John and Laura in Italy? Just wanted to say that we started listening to talk radio back in the summer and I've listen to it every day since a great station with great presenters we'll never listen to any other station from now on seasons greetings well thank you very much indeed john and laura in italy i'd love to know actually if you can send us another text what things are like in italy because over the course of uh, this next christmas period i suppose we'll find out precisely what's going on in places like germany which was being praised as treating the coronavirus a lot better uh, they seem to be now uh, in an even worse situation than we are places like sweden uh, where some people are now saying that they're going to end up just about as bad as the UK, despite all the things that they did for the, for a while. So it's very difficult to judge when all the countries of the world are behaving in the same sort of way, because they're all getting the same kind of numbers, which we kind of predicted months and months ago, didn't we? Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. 
And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. So there used to be a, a famous age-old headline that would get written. I think it, it doesn't get written anymore because it just seems to me to be a little bit too hackneyed. But it was jingle tills, wasn't it, all the way uh, when people decided to go out and spend their money. But in the mail today, uh, shoppers expected to splash out a staggering £2.5 million a minute on Christmas shopping over the next four days. A total of £5.3 billion is set to be spent in high streets and online as families rush to complete festive purchases. Now, I don't know about you, but I found it in the last couple of days, certainly, a lot quieter on the roads than it was uh, earlier on this week. And I don't know whether that's got something to do with people already moving to wherever it is they're going to spend Christmas, people who are basically not working next week. Let's talk to Claire Bailey and find out what it's all about. Claire, very good uh, afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Mike. So, I mean, uh, this is an awful lot of money that's going to be handed over. And I guess um, my first question is, is, is it all going to be done uh, by people going to shops or is it kind of online? Is it a combination of the two? Um, well, every year has got a similar pattern. And at this stage, when we're heading towards the last weekend before Christmas, it's usually all about the high street, Christmas markets um, and that kind of thing. Click and collect will have a large part to play. But people probably are not going to take the risk on online deliveries, especially when we've heard that online deliveries are under such pressure, uh, that postal systems are really creaking and that couriers are overwhelmed and that perhaps products won't get to people in time. So this is now when High Street comes into its own because people can be sure that they've got their presents in their shopping bags and can take them away with them Mm. without that nervousness that something isn't going to arrive for the dear dear darling children in time for Christmas morning. (laughs) Yeah, speaking of which, there will be plenty of parents out there who, uh, if they've if they've got the money, will be trying to get hold of PS5s for their kids, but mm-hmm. finding that quite difficult because it seems as though the first lot of PS5s got snapped up by a load of what can only be described yeah. as unscrupulous middlemen uh, who are now trying PS5 to sell them on shops, sell them I on eBay. Yeah, I mean, I can't believe this is being done. <laughs> But selling yeah. them on eBay and also in some shops, the yeah. names of which I'm not going to give you, but you probably know who I'm talking about, for, for sort of twice the money. Exactly. Well, I mean, uh, and actually, it's, it's not just the exciting products like PS5s, which are very expensive pre- pre- uh, present, I'd like to say. Mm. But it's also things like computer, uh, I can't speak this morning, computer components. That's a tongue twister. That is. Things like um, a, a graphics card for an industrial machine. They've been out of stock for months and they're being marked up as well. Part of this is to do with the fact that manufacturing facilities were closed down yes. for a period of time due to COVID. And that left a hole in the supply chain. And so the limited amount of stock that has made it through the system has been snapped up. Mm. And then you've got the, you could say, entrepreneurial opportunists or you could say uh, perhaps touts. 
the, well, the t- yeah, I mean, you wouldn't be allowed to do it with. I mean, I suppose it does go on with with tickets for things mm. which nobody goes to anymore. But I mean, I wouldn't. I can't believe you could, for example, I don't know, snap up all the new A class Mercedes coming here from from Germany and then put them on sale somewhere else for sort of twice the money. Well, uh, again, it's a difficult one, isn't it? I mean, it's it's perhaps somebody's being quite enterprising, but uh, there's an ethical issue. And in many respects, the uh, manufacturers ought not to be allowing it to happen mm. as well. Um, unfortunately, it is what it is. And I think that it's it's best for people to wait till the new year. And if that's the kind of gift that they want, then perhaps to say, look, we're putting the money to one side. And uh, as and when we can get hold of it for you, we will. Um, it, and it's been an issue across quite a lot of consumer electronics that have come into the UK from overseas simply because of this gap in the manufacturing processes that's been as a result of the pandemic. Right. I'm also seeing that uh, some toys are being gridlocked because uh, mm-hmm. the ports have kind of frozen up, haven't they? And people seem to have different views as to why that's happening. Mm. Some of the presents are coming in from China. Uh, some of the containers are obviously being held up for one reason or another, nothing to do with Brexit particularly, but to do with you mm. know, quite a large volume of stuff coming through yeah again that's because there was a period of time when supply was limited and there wasn't much coming through and now they've caught up and it's all trying to come through at once and uh, we do see this every single year as well especially with toys you've got a situation where and uh, many moons ago i used to work with woolworths and they they always talked about the fact that it seemed to be a fact in the industry that toy manufacturers would take all the predictions for toy sales from the big retailers mm. and then they'd sort of scratch their heads and go do they really think they're going to sell that much and they may sort of add it all together and say well we'll produce 70 percent to be on the safe side because nobody wants to be left over stock after christmas because that's not a time that it will sell and that did tend to lead on the most popular toys uh, to some significant shortages so it might be the sort of natural uh, errors in forecasting and predictions that have resulted in it and it might be a case that the ports are quite busy because they're trying to catch up on that period where we haven't had supply right so what are the big sort of things that are being bought this year ticket items i mean obviously we talked about ps5s which is an expensive thing i mean normally there's some kind of uh, um, you know, fad or, or gadget mm. or something that people all want to get, you know? What is it? Well, there, there doesn't seem to be any one thing, but there is definitely um, a few trends that I've observed that are sort of becoming more and more prevalent and are peaking as people think about gift giving. And they link to the fact that people are at home. So it's in-home entertainment type things. So whether it be upgraded TVs Mm. for streaming and gaming, games consoles we've touched on, uh, things like webcams and soundbars, just to create the at-home connected experience. But then there's lots of people who took up new hobbies in lockdown and some of fallen by the wayside but others have become you know almost uh, small cottage industries so uh, sales of products around hobby type items Mm. and of course the propensity towards DIY and the garden just never seems to end so um, you know anything around home improvements home decoration and gifting towards your own home it's almost buying yourself treats to uh, decorate and adorn your home well i suppose people feel like they need to cheer themselves up after the uh, year they've had as well Yes, and of course, because they haven't been spending on things like holidays abroad, they've actually diverted that spending on doing things around the home and the jobs Mm. and the improvements that they haven't done. So I think that the the winners are going to be those that offer those kind of either, obviously, the streaming services, the gaming services and so on, and the technology that makes that experience more immersive. 
along with other elements of home improvements that make the home a more comfortable and enjoyable place to be. It sounds as though um, peak sort of shopping is going to be Saturday, Super Saturday, yes. they're calling it. So yeah. I guess for those of us who don't like crowds, it's probably not a great idea to go shopping on Saturday. It's definitely not a good idea if you're in Tier 3 either, which is a significant well, amount. Well, I mean, I was going to say... they're going to be crowds. Well, we've got this thing from Boris Johnson now, this, this latest piece of advice, right? Mm. He's tweeted saying that we all need to take personal responsibility to avoid passing the virus on to loved ones. He's advising that from today, we should stop unnecessary social contact with other households before meeting our Christmas bubble. Well, I presume that means you shouldn't go shopping, doesn't it? Well, obviously, when you're shopping, you're not in a bubble situation because you are technically socially distancing and wearing a mask and so on. They are obviously business premises do have to maintain ventilation um, so they keep um, you know fresh airflow moving through, which doesn't necessarily happen in a private home, which is why it's a little bit different. But, yeah, I mean, if anybody's remotely concerned that they will be visiting perhaps slightly more vulnerable relatives over the Christmas period, I would say try to avoid shopping on Saturday day and Sunday mm. you've still got Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Thursday's likely to be very busy as well Christmas Eve always goes crazy but Monday Tuesday Wednesday are likely to be quieter mm. for those who don't want to be in crowds but uh, otherwise just uh, it would be a, it will be a busy weekend and people need to just remember to maintain those social distances and keep the face coverings in place. Yeah, I've got to make a dreaded trip to the post office because somebody sent oh. a package to me, which of course oh. I wasn't in to get. And I'm now going, I really, I'm not even sure I can be bothered, you know, to queue <laughs> up for an hour, uh, only yeah. to find that because it's not been actually addressed to me, it's addressed to my daughter at my address, um, you know, so there's going to be a problem with the identification. Do you know what I mean? It's just going to be one of those yeah. things where you just think, eh, maybe I'll just wait till the new year and get it. Well, on the plus side, for anybody who is having difficulties uh, picking up parcels, the sorting office opening hours are quite lengthy. Mm. So I think if you can be there at seven o'clock in the morning, although that's rather ugh, for a lot of people, then uh, at least you should uh, get past the issue of the queuing. Because there's going to be a lot of people that missed uh, parcels and have that dreaded postcard mm. on the uh, doormat, which is another reason why people like to shop in the physical high street at this time of year, because yeah. they don't want to take the risk of missing the parcel. Well, I must admit, I thought those days were gone because, you know, because yeah. of COVID and everything, people tend not to want you to sign things anymore. They tend to not want you to open the door anymore. They just want to leave it for you. And I was quite surprised that you have to actually physically go and get anything. Yeah, sometimes they need to uh, be seen to have put it through a letterbox. It depends on the value of the item. So there is still an element of that risk. And also, if you don't put uh, a note for listeners, if they don't put a safe place allocation for certain couriers, they will take it back to the depot because they haven't had your sort of uh, authority to leave it in the so-called safe place because at that point you accept the risk if it gets pinched. Yeah, no, exactly right. So, I mean, for most retailers this year, I suppose, just to kind of sum up what the year has Mm. been like for them, um, they've probably done quite well, haven't they? I mean, I'm not talking about the smaller businesses that haven't been able to open, but I'm talking more about the big, you know, the big companies that people order stuff from at this time of the year. Well, um, online retail has definitely grown across all sizes and formats. But actually, the real winners have been the grocery retailers, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm waiting to read some stats on actual spending figures. But as far as I know, grocery have seen a huge growth overall because we're not spending money in coffee shops and, and using the canteen at work. Mm. And um, actually, the growth of online year on year is on average 50 percent. But online grocery has gone up by a little bit more than that. Wow. I think the latest figures were about 70%. So no wonder we're fighting over delivery slots if it's nearly doubled year on year. 
No, absolutely right. And what's it going to mean shopping-wise in terms of, I mean, obviously Boxing Day, I think... Um, uh, Boris actually made a reference to Boxing Day sales when mm-hmm. he did his last press briefing, and he said, "You know, obviously you want you want to avoid crowds on Boxing Day sales. Presumably, Boxing Day sales will really not go on. One would think, and the same goes for New Year because New Year's more or less been cancelled, isn't it?" <laughs> um, well, I mean, Boxing Day sales, uh, as at the moment, may or may or may not go on, depending on the retailer's choice. But if people have only got four days to be in their Christmas bubbles, yeah. they may not wish to miss out on that opportunity and spend that time shopping. So it may be quieter than normal in some respects because of that sort of four day amnesty. Um, as for New Year, we don't know really what that holds. The next announcement on tier movements is towards the end of the year for implementation after New Year's Day. Right. But but with the Christmas relaxation, it is likely that there won't be much movement because obviously the, the sensible policy would be to wait and see if there is any negative impact of Christmas mixing mm. before any relaxation on tier restrictions goes in place. No, exactly right. But I'm thinking more in terms of sort of, you know, some of the New Year sales mm. that used to happen. Um, I guess it's going to be difficult, like everybody, it's difficult to make a plan, isn't it? That said, I mean, a lot of these retailers, uh, you know, non-essential as long as they can remain open, whether it be for home delivery or click and collect, they can still promote products. They can still clear out their old seasonal stock. Mm. But generally, new year year sales aren't really a thing anymore. People have tended to break into sale immediately after Christmas and and sometimes on Christmas Eve. So it'll be interesting to see what the pattern looks like and if people have been able to sell through their Christmas stock and if they have as much desire to discount into Mm. the new year or whether they just simply don't have deep enough pockets to discount at all and they they just attempt to trade as normal. No, of course. Well, Claire, I'm sure it will be a very happy Christmas for some people and not so happy for others. hope yours is good. Thanks very much indeed. Claire Burley, retail expert, talking to us there about uh, the vagaries of the Christmas shopping thing. Because if you are going to go Christmas shopping this weekend, it is likely to be very busy. And if it is likely to be very busy, then it's less likely to be very, shall we say, COVID secure, if you're worried about that. Uh, So what do you do? Do you go and do it anyway? I mean, we've all seen, uh, as one of our callers pointed out earlier, those ridiculous queues at two o'clock in the morning up in Birmingham for people going to Primark where they were were not in any way, shape or form social distancing. I mean, I have a real affinity uh, for doing last minute Christmas shopping. I tend to do a lot of that, but I'm probably not going to do it this year because I can't be bothered going into a shop and wearing a mask and hanging about. I really don't even want to go to the post office, for heaven's sake. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Now, I've got some exciting news for you, Okay, Uh, I'm not quite sure which bit of news I'm going to give you first. But here's what I'm going to say, uh, first of all, before we do something very exciting. Uh, Tomorrow on Talk Radio at 4pm, Andy J. Uh, does a show called Driven. It's a great show. It's full of people who drive cars, who are famous. They talk about what car they drive. They talk about all sorts of other things. Tomorrow at four o'clock, it's Jeremy Clarkson, one of the greatest individuals I think I've ever um, had the displeasure of meeting. He is a great guy, mind you, um, but we nearly got into a fight. It was the same night he had a fight with Piers Morgan at the uh, British Press Awards, and uh, he made the mistake of walking off the stage after being disparaging about the Daily Mirror into the Daily Mirror table area which wasn't a great idea for him. But never mind. He's going to be on tomorrow, 4 o'clock. You don't want to miss it. Andy J, Jeremy Clarkson. For an entire hour, they're going to be talking about cars and I'm sure many, many other things. Now, the second exciting thing to tell you is that I have here a bottle of Prosecco, which is not only um, fizzy, but also pink. And it's from the co-op, believe it or not. Uh, And I'm going to talk now to Simon Cairns, head of drinks at the co-op. Before I do that, there's even more excitement 
because my daughter, who finally arrived last night into Heathrow um, from Dubai, is also here. Emma, very good uh, afternoon. Welcome. Thank you. It's so great to be here. And you haven't even been in the studio before, right? It's amazing. It is amazing. It's, it's fantastic. And the other, even more exciting news is that they found her bag, <laughs> which had gone missing last night, much to everybody's chagrin, especially those who was hanging about at the airport. Um, so, without further ado, uh, let us open the, cham- the champagne, well, the Prosecco, I should say. Simon Cairns, a very good uh, afternoon to you. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm very well indeed. I'm very, very well indeed. Now, while we're speaking, I'm going to try and do this with some elan and skill, hopefully not (laughs) dropping it all over the place or spilling it all over the keyboard. But uh, funnily enough, um, pink Prosecco is one of my favourite things to drink. So I don't know how you guessed that, but um, happy Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Uh, It should sound like a a nun passing wind when you take the cork out. So good luck with that. There you go. Well, I've never heard a nun passing wind, so thanks for giving me that image. Um, no, no problem at all. No right, I'm going to pour all. one for myself in a glass, and I'm afraid Emma, because she's not very old, is only allowed a paper cup. Uh, what can you tell me about this Prosecco? Where is it? Prosecco, if I'm not wrong, is, all, is from Italy, right? It, always from Italy, yeah. Um, and actually, until this year, uh, we couldn't actually have a rosé Prosecco. Really? So um, it wasn't permissible under the, uh, the the regulations over there in Italy. So we could only have the Prosecco, which did very, very well for us. Right. But thankfully, now we've got um, this wonderful, fresh, uh, fruity Prosecco. It's got a little drop of Pinot Noir in there. It's got a lovely um, bouquet, if you don't mind me saying so. Well, it's very kind, yeah. You should get that nice little hit of fresh raspberry in there. Mm, it is nice. It is nice. It, and is it, from a, of... is it from a particular region? Yeah, well, it, it's always from um, the northeast of Italy. Right. Um, and actually, we buy it from a, a very long established family producer called Zonan, um, a, a relationship we've had for many years and we're very proud of. They're nearly 200 years old. In fact, they're 200 years old next year. Um, but it's great to work with a family owned producer that are really passionate about what they do. And mm. obviously, what we're looking for is that freshness, um, just to give that. that perfect kind of festive jolly juice yes and that's what it is really. because it's, it's really nice i mean it's always nice to have champagne um but i find uh-huh. that if if you're going to be kind of eating quite a lot you can get a bit bulked up drinking champagne and prosecco is not uh, it, quite so filling is it exactly that and i think don't get me wrong i'm a huge fan of champagne particularly over christmas and i think particularly after the year we've had um i think a few people will be popping a few corks but if you just want something as a, as a little aperitif to get you in the festive mood, you've got your friends, your family around that you've not seen for a while, and you want something just to liven them up a little bit, this is perfect. That's and good. it's only £8.50 a bottle. Wow, Absolutely that still. is good. I'm going to ask the expert, uh, Mrs. Emma Graham here. Uh, what do you think of that? <laughs> I just can't believe it's £8 a bottle. That's good, I mean, isn't in it? Dubai, that will get She lives in Dubai, where everything nothing. costs a fortune. <laughs> uh, well, there we go, yeah. Great value for money. Um, and as I say, you could afford to buy a few bottles. So if you've got... Uh, I know it's only three households in your bubble, but... Um, Trust me, we can... If it's That's more than, like enough. It's more than enough for me, three, I'll tell you what. <laughs> yeah. But even better news is there's a co-op in my road, so I could go there oh, well, later there on and get some. Because I'll have, done, I'll, have done all, I'll have done all this in by the time I get home. But, um, yeah. <laughs> and, and co-op um, is... I mean, we were talking about Christmas shopping earlier, and uh, obviously we're going to be spending apparently two and a half million pounds a minute uh, tomorrow christmas shopping wow. um what sort of a year has it been for you guys it's been phenomenal 
for us. I mean, we've uh, obviously benefited from the fact that people are staying at home, um, working from home, um, and actually staying within the community. So it's great to have a store on your doorstep you can walk to and hopefully pick up a fantastic range of food and wine. So yes. um, it's been a good year. It's been a good year. Yeah, I mean, and happily, presumably for some of the people that work for you, Simon, um, they've been able to keep working because people sometimes forget you know, even though it's the private sector, you employ an awful lot of people in the food business, in the supermarket business, and, and I think it's important to recognise that. Absolutely. And do you know what? Our colleagues have been absolutely phenomenal. I think the fact that they've been uh, recognised as key workers uh, on the front line there, um, serving their communities, is an absolute credit to them all. Um, we're all phenomenally proud of our frontline staff, um, and I really hope they have a fantastic Christmas. They thoroughly deserve it. And what about the old, um, the sort of the Christmas stuff this year? What's what are you seeing being bought more than anything else? Uh, do you know what? It's interesting. We've just done some research at the co-op, um, and definitely, I think what we're seeing is people are really in the mood to spoil their loved ones this year. So, if you've not seen your family for a while, not seen your friends for a while, whoever you got coming round for Christmas, I think there's a real desire to indulge yourself and your loved ones. And perhaps try something a little bit different. I think people have got a little bit bored of the same old, same old. Being at home, seeing the same things day after day. If I see another ham sandwich, it'll be far too soon. But <laughs> Do think, you know what I, I did think... one year? One year I became obsessed with this recipe, turkey recipe, which I had never tried before. And it was made with yeah. or- a load of oranges, right? And it was all right, yeah. but it sort of put me off oranges for life because it was so orange. <laughs> and the oranges, we had, you had to slice the oranges and put them under the turkey, put to, slice some more oranges, yeah. put them on top of the turkey, stuff the turkey with oranges, you know. Yeah. And it was quite an interesting sort of different thing. But, but I've never eaten oh, another yeah. orange I, in my life. <laughs> I think there'll be a lot of experimentation out there as people try to impress. Right. But um, the good news is, do you know what? There are some fascinating wines out there. There's some tremendous wines on our shelf. If you want to be experimental... Try something a little bit different. It'll be a talking point. Yeah, you know, is there, if, is there an emerging, you, is there a new emerging country or anything? I wouldn't say country. I'd say there's there's definitely interesting varietals um, that are out there that perhaps people haven't shot before. Mm. Um, certainly at the moment, things like Bobal from Spain um, is probably one of those grapes that not a lot of people have heard of, but it's yes. the second most planted grape in Spain. And it's tremendous, mm. really drinkable wines. Okay. Um, Things like Catarato from Italy, uh, from Sicily, has got a wonderful kind of waxy, fruity note. Okay. Something a bit different. And I think it's just, it's breaking the norm. It's a bit of excitement. It's uh, the equivalent of not another ham sandwich in the wine world. No. Just trying something that's a little bit out of your comfort zone. But also, I think it's it's the familiar favourites have done really well this year. People want that bit of comfort through familiarity so things like sherry have done phenomenally well um and it was always the case that the only person i knew who drank sherry at christmas was my mum who religiously had a glass of you know croft original but um you know different sherry styles things like the uh the px the sweeter style absolutely phenomenal if you want something to go with your christmas pudding or even just poured over a bowl of vanilla ice cream um, that sweet style of PX Pedro Jimenez Sherry. It's only six quid a bottle at the co-op. It's an absolute steal, and you will not go wrong with it. I, Slightly like, chilled. I like the sound of it. Oh, it is Christmas in a glass. Absolutely. Figs, raisins, dates, all the things you associate with Christmas. 
in a concentrated, wrapped up in this velvety caramel flavour. Fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. Well, Simon, listen, Merry Christmas. Thank you very much indeed. I'll hold the bottle up once more. It's called, um, it's the Rosé Prosecco. Um, irresistible, it says, and it actually is. So, Merry Christmas. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, started the show with a rum punch, ended it with a glass of Prosecco. Can't be bad. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.